Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the lineup on Yahoo Sports. My name is Steven Zoyas. That's Wesley Chang. And we're going to break down everything that happened in the NFL from a fantasy football perspective, starting off with some rookie risers and fallers. And Wes, no one was getting more talk on Twitter or anywhere this week than Jonathan Taylor after his poor performance against the Detroit Lions. Yeah, Jonathan Taylor, after the Marlon Mack injury, everybody was talking about RB1 potential with him moving forward, myself included. But if you actually look at the numbers, he's only had one top 12 running back performance the entire season. So clearly he has been underperforming. And the worst thing with that game last week against the Lions, which should have been a great spot for Taylor, he actually seeded the snap count lead for the first time the entire year. It was really hard to watch Wilkins and Hines both put up 20 fantasy point performances while Taylor was sub five. But the injury news, that's pretty much the only saving grace that you have here. But that does ultimately leave some, some concern. Here's some stats, though, I want to talk about, especially with fantasy being opportunity centric. In the first three games of the season, Jonathan Taylor, he had 14 of the red zone touches, whereas Hines only had six, Wilkins had one. In the last four games, Taylor's only had six, and Hines has had eight, and Wilkins has had six. So I'm getting worried that this kind of, uh, this running back, uh, this backfield is getting a little bit more democratized in terms of his touches. So unfortunately, all of that energy with him being an RB1 and having that upside, you got to scale that back down a little bit. I'm an owner of T uh, Jonathan Taylor as well, and I'm sad to say he's probably going to be closer to RB15 and RB20. Jalen Rager made his return from injury in week eight. And while the numbers aren't gaudy, he had six targets and he caught three for 16 yards and a touchdown. It was encouraging to see that there were no setbacks in his first game back. And now with the Eagles heading into their bye week in week nine, I'm interested to see if the Eagles start to feature him a little bit more in the offense. As we saw, it could have been a much bigger day. He had a long touchdown pass just batted out of his hands late in the game against the Cowboys. So the day could have been even bigger. But it's clear that he's one of these players that is very explosive. He's got great burst. And if the Eagles who are not the most plentiful at the wide receiver position, get Rager going. Given how easy his strength of schedule is down the stretch, I think Rager could definitely slide into the low-end wide receiver two mix moving forward because, like I said, this is a former first-round pick. They want to get him involved in the offense, and there's definitely an opening for a clear role that he can establish down the stretch. Clyde Edwards-Alaire managers were obviously weary when the Le'Veon Bell news broke through a few weeks ago. And now that we're two weeks into this marriage, it's unfortunately not, we haven't gotten enough information to really have a conclusion on it. So in the previous game, the snap count was positive. Alaire had 50% of the backfield snaps, Le'Veon Bell had 25, but they actually went 50-50 on the touches. I mentioned this game just now, and then the game two weeks ago as well, there were just so many weird things with the game script and flow we really can't derive a whole lot of information in terms of absolute volume, but we can maybe paint a closer picture in terms of what the split is going to be. But just going back to that really quickly, taking a look at CEH's numbers. On the first six games of the season, he averaged 21 touches. In the last two, he's averaged a total of nine. So I still stand by the fact that I think CEH is going to have 65% of the touches. Bell will have 35 with Bell getting the majority of the goal line looks. But moving forward, you just have to unfortunately bring those expectations for him down a notch. 
he was the RB7 ADP wise going into the season. I think now if you're going to be conservative, you got to call him an RB15 moving forward and hope that he's able to get a little bit more upside with this high powered offense. Lastly, I'm going to talk about Buffalo Bills running back, the big time boss, Zach Moss. And he looked really good in week eight against the New England Patriots. He handled 14 carries for 81 yards and two touchdowns. And it's those touchdowns that really have me excited about Moss moving forward. It seems pretty clear he is going to be the goal line running back for the Buffalo Bills. His big bruising style and ability to break tackles works really well in that goal line red zone setting. He handled six red zone carries this past week, opposed to Devin Singletary's one. So it seems pretty clear that's how the Buffalo Bills want to use Moss. And he's been a pretty efficient runner in addition to handling that goal line work. He's had four appearances this year. And in two of those games, he's rushed for over four yards per carry. Singletary, he's had seven appearances this year. And he's rushed for over four yards per carry just twice. So they're pretty equal. But Moss has had less appearances. And now that he seems to be fully healthy and back from this toe injury, I really like Zach Moss settling in as a low-end, mid-range RB2 moving forward. To zone. More live football than anyone else. Stream exclusive Premier League and UEFA Champions League. Stream every NFL game, including the Super Bowl. Plus, exclusive Red Zone. Showing you every touchdown, every Sunday. To zone. Start your free trial at DAZN.com and stream on multiple devices. More live football than anyone else. D-A-Z-N, DAZN. We're halfway through the NFL season. Let's take a look at the back half of the year and spotlight some players who are either undervalued or have tremendous upside. Stevie, let's spotlight a league winner who can bring it in the second half. Chase Edmonds of the Arizona Cardinals definitely has some league-winning upside to his profile. If you look at how he's performed with limited snaps and touches over his last four games, it's pretty impressive. He's topped 12 fantasy points three times while dealing with 15 touches or less in every single one of those games. So Edmonds has been more efficient than the starter, Kenyon Drake, who now has an ankle injury, which opens up the door for Edmonds to be the primary ball carrier in this offense. Now, some of the upside did get dampened a bit with the reports that Drake's ankle injury isn't as bad as it was initially reported, which is obviously great news for Drake and the Cardinals, but it does dampen Edmonds' profile just a little bit. But if he can show this week in week nine that he can be the lead back and get the job done against the Miami Dolphins, it might open the door for some more touches for Edmonds, who can really fit in as a RB2 for your team and potentially RB1 down the stretch if the team ultimately decides to give Edmonds and not Drake the lion's share of the work. I'll throw a big asterisk on this one, but if Mark Ingram is actually a little bit more injured than he's letting on, J.K. Dobbins has to be one of the biggest potential league winners going into the second half of the season. He's rostered in under 70% of Yahoo leagues, so there's a slight chance you can actually get him right off your wire, but at worst, he's a candidate to get in a trade for pennies on the dollar. They played Pittsburgh last week in a tough divisional matchup, a team that's a top five run defense, and Dobbins put up the best performance he had of the season. He had 15 carries on 113 rushing yards. He's been leaps and bounds, the most efficient with his looks out of this three-headed backfield monster. And what I like the most about making this recommendation, 
Baltimore has an extremely exploitable last four matchups of the season. They play Dallas, Cleveland, Jacksonville, and finish with the Giants. With Ingram finishing 2019 as a top 10 RB, I'd like to hope that they finally come to their senses and decide that Dobbins is the leading back for this backfield. And if they actually do make that adjustment, Dobbins has top 15 running back potential the rest of the way. Wes, the next player I'm going to talk about might just be the most underrated wide receiver in the NFL. Obviously, in fantasy football, we know how great he is, but I don't think he gets the proper credit he's due because of the quarterbacks he's had to play with in his career, and that is Allen Robinson of the Chicago Bears. You just watch this guy, and day in, day out, he's put in everything on the line for the Bears. That sprawly touchdown catch against the New Orleans Saints was very impressive. And the thing is with Robinson, as I mentioned, it's just he's never had the right quarterbacks. But he might not need to, given how friendly his schedule is down the stretch, especially when you start talking about the playoffs. He plays the Houston Texans, Minnesota Vikings, and the Jacksonville Jaguars between Week 14 to Week 16. That's an extremely soft schedule. And the reason why I'm throwing him into this league winner section is he's wide receiver 14 so far this season in fantasy football. I think the upside is there for Robinson to finish as a top five wide receiver in fantasy football. So obviously, you would not have to give up what you would normally or what you would expect to give up for a top five guy at the position right now in a trade for Robinson. So that's why I think he's a sneaky buy low candidate because that schedule really starts to open up and favor him down the stretch. Another player worth targeting in a trade with second half upside is Keenan Allen on the Los Angeles Chargers. So here are some numbers that really go in his favor. He's fourth in the entire NFL in targets. He has a 29% target share on the Chargers. And of all players with 40 receptions or more this season, only him and Allen Robinson have made all of those catches without a single drop. PFF currently has Keenan Allen graded as the third best wide receiver in the league this season. And he has, just like Robinson, one of the softest schedules to finish off the season. In the playoff rounds, he gets Atlanta, Las Vegas, and Denver. All exploitable matchups where they can get a lot of yards through the air. Drafted as the wide receiver 23, he's currently the wide receiver 15. But I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is and say he finishes the back half of the season as a top 10 wide receiver. You're tuned into the lineup on Yahoo Sports. Let's get to the waiver wire. Stevie, who's the first name that we should be going off the top here? I think Damian Harris, who's rostered in under 50% of Yahoo Fantasy Football Leagues, has to be right at the top of your priority on the waiver wire this week. He's now rushed for over 100 yards in two games this season. He's only played at four. So he already has two 100-plus rushing yard games to his name. That's more than guys like Alvin Kamara and Aaron Jones. So he's been an efficient runner on top of that, averaging 5.7 yards per carry while facing eight-plus defenders in the box or at the line of scrimmage, a second-highest rate of any other running back this season. So he's been very efficient while also dealing with less-than-ideal rushing conditions. So Damian Harris is someone that I really like to move into that RB2 mix moving forward. I know this is a crowded backfield. They've got guys like Rex Burkhead, James White, and Sony Michelle when he's finally back 
in the lineup. But I don't think this New England Patriots offense is afforded the luxury of going away from guys who are clearly productive because they just do not have a lot going for them on that side of the football. So I think Damian Harris is a very nice waiver ad and someone who can have a lot of success in week nine against the New York Jets. The second player we want to be recommending is Corey Davis, who's owned and rostered in 48% of Yahoo leagues. So far this season, in five games played, Davis has never scored less than 9.4 fantasy points in a single game. Now, we get it. He's the 1B to A.J. Brown's 1A, but he's actually had 38 targets to Brown's 36 targets, and they both played five games this season. Now, Corey Davis, he had a down year in 2019, but so far in 2020, PFF actually has him graded as the wideout six on the season. And what you ultimately like with this team or this pick here is the team. Tennessee, as an offense in general, they actually put up the six most points uh, per game at 29.7. Uh, but Tannehill, he's also grading really well this season. He's the fifth best QB as per pro football focus. So as a former fifth overall pick in the 2017 draft, Corey Davis does have the upside. And while he might not hit you with a high ceiling week in, week out, that floor is what you're ultimately rostering him here for. He's got a high floor, wide out three potential the rest of the way forward. Stop me if you've heard this before, but I think you should add Jordan Wilkins off the waiver wire in fantasy football this week if you're a Jonathan Taylor manager. Because we saw last week, Wilkins looked far better than Taylor did. And we know Taylor's dealing with a bit of an ankle injury, and maybe that's why it happened. But Frank Reich has shown that he likes to go with a hot hand approach at running back, and Wilkins was clearly the better of the two backs last week. I'm only starting Wilkins this week in week nine if I know Taylor isn't going to suit up because obviously things change in the NFL. One week it looks like Wilkins is the guy, and next week Taylor goes off for a big game. So I'm not going to, to pick up Wilkins off the wave wire and plug him in my lineup if this ankle injury doesn't cost Taylor any time. But if it does, and on a run-heavy team like the Indianapolis Colts, I think it makes sense to start Wilkins as a back-end RB2 in fantasy football this week because you know he's going to get the volume. He saw 20 carries last week and did 89 yards worth of damage, including a touchdown with them. So I think Wilkins is someone that you're adding to your bench and at best you start him for week nine if this ankle injury does cost Taylor any time. At 43% rostership, Sterling Shepard is a name that you should be taking a chance on on the wire this week. In, this, uh, in the two games that he's been back from injury, he's actually put up 10 fantasy points in both of those games. And in those same two games, he led the receiving core in targets. The best thing I like about this ad, though, is you can look at him for kind of more of the playoff weeks. He's got five weeks in a row of very favorable matchups. He has Washington, Philadelphia, Cincinnati, Seattle, and Arizona. That is a very good matchup list to be going after, especially during those prime weeks. And the best thing with this offense, how often do we see New York playing from behind? That game script is perfect for a player like Sterling Shepard, who's constantly going to be running towards the, uh, the sidelines and getting some short yardage and receptions. So moving forward, with the amount of limited uh, receiving competition he has on this team, I think Shepard could be the player could be the type of player who gives you wide receiver three or flex upside moving forward.
You're tuned in to the lineup on Yahoo Sports. And now Wes and I are going to dig into some players who have been out with long-term injuries and talk about what you can expect or when you could potentially expect to have them back in your fantasy football lineup. We're going to start with Cleveland Browns running back Nick Chubb. Wes, what's the prognosis on Nick Chubb? Chubb originally went down in week four. Adam Schefter had reported that at time it's going to be roughly a six-week recovery period. So with week 10 on the horizon, that's probably going to be where it stands, as you can see with the most recent news and updates on him. Talking about what his usage is going to be when they're back, Cleveland's fighting for that final AFC playoff spot. And with OBJ out, oh, they need him desperately. Don't get me wrong, Kareem Hunt has been very effective. And this O-line has also stood up really well. They've been top five in the NFL this season. This backfield collectively should be top three on the season. But let's not forget, Nick Chubb. He was RB6 during the games that he played this season. They make for a great tandem with Chubb getting their early down touches and Hunt resorting more to the third down looks. Moving forward, if Chubb does ultimately come back on week 10 like he's supposed to, he should be able to give you top 10 upside the rest of the way. Austin Eckler has been dealing with a grade two hamstring strain, and that's what's kept him out of the Chargers lineup. And who knows really when he's going to come back. The initial diagnosis was that it was going to be four to six weeks. But Anthony Lynn came out and said that this is going to be an injury where he comes back later rather than sooner. So fantasy managers don't really know what to do with that information. And unfortunately, I'm not a doctor. And I really can't tell you what exactly is going on with Austin Eckler. But I think it's pretty safe to assume that you're going to see him definitely at the later end of that four to six weeks and potentially even longer than that. I do think he will play again this season. I'm no doctor, though, so I can't tell you definitively. But when Eckler is back, you can definitely pencil him in for an RB1, that mid-range RB1, because he's going to get a lot of the passing down work that we're seeing now split up between three running backs, actually, for the Chargers. They have Justin Jackson, Joshua Kelly, and they even sprinkled in Tremaine Pope in their most recent game, and he looked pretty good as well. If you're going to go about this situation in the meantime, in Eckler's absence, the guy I probably want is Justin Jackson. I think he's offered the most burst and the most effectiveness as far as those three running backs go. But it's going to be a messy situation when you've got three running backs touching the ball pretty consistently. So no one is really going to pop off and supplement that Eckler production on their own, unfortunately. I'm no doctor either, but Raheem Mostert is eligible to return in Week 10 it looks more likely that he'll be back in week 12 after their bye week. If you look at the situation for the managers of most in your leagues, they're probably desperate to get some short-term replacement. He's been on and off all season. I'd actually say this is the perfect time to try to target him in a trade, especially with some of the favorable numbers that he has going into the second half of the year. His strength of schedule is one of the best. They get Buffalo, Washington, Dallas, and Arizona to finish the year. But I want to also isolate most of his production on his own. He's currently graded as the RB2 as for PFF. And on the season, he's actually sixth. He's got the sixth most yard, uh, rushing yards per game. And he's fourth in efficiency at 5.7 yards per attempt. So ultimately, this is a player that's performed very well this season. San Fran, as we know, as an offense, has been very effective at getting good rushing yards and opportunities for their backfield. If you can make it work and you got the ability to maybe give up some short-term value in the next few weeks, make a play for Raheem Mostert because during those final four weeks, I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is and call him a top 10 RB during those final four weeks.
That's the end of this episode of the lineup on Yahoo Sports. But if you want to keep up to date with everything related to the show, follow us on Instagram at Yahoo Sports CA and hit the subscribe button on YouTube as well. For Wesley Chang, I'm Steven Sahoyas. Don't forget to set your fantasy football lineup for week nine of the NFL season.